What's up, everybody? Coming to you live once again from my parents' house. We got episode 20, 20, episode 20 here of the Changavi Show. I'm your host, Anuj Changavi, and as my tagline says, I am the man, the myth, the legend. If you're listening on Spotify, I truly apologize that you don't get to see me in my true video excellence and form, but you know what? Tune into my YouTube channel next time. Everything is at the Changavi Show, all social media. You know the deal. Go follow, go like, go subscribe. We got a big show to come, guys. I've been absent. I know I didn't record last week. I had that little mini show for you guys. Talked a little bit about Novak. Talked a little bit about the uh, the potential 2024 candidates uh, two years too early. Let's see if any of those takes are right in two years. They probably will age poorly. But but this is not a mini show. This is a real show, and we got a lot to talk about. But I'll start with a quick check-in as to how I'm doing. I've been doing pretty, pretty uh, routine. Honestly, 2022 has been a gr- it's been a great start to the year uh, in a lot of aspects. I would say um, I think my the things that I've done so far this year like are amazing. You know, I got to go obviously saw Clay made a huge deal with that whole shebang, um, and you know I've I've gotten to you know I've I've gotten to see my Niners in the playoffs. It's it's been a pretty good year in terms of like social stuff and. But in terms of work stuff and in terms of like this podcast, like it's I've I've been producing the level of content, the quality of content that I'd like to. Um, so give me that opportunity to do so here in this year. Uh, I think so far it's been pretty good, but probably not at like the level of consistency that I'm used to. Uh, so let's try to keep it two shows a week like I've been doing. I fully intend on uh, on being able to do that. So anyway, uh that's all I got from my vibes. It's been okay here. Uh, nothing really to report. Deanza has started. My college has started and, uh, it's going, it's going. That's, that's truly all I can say at this point is it's been going. So let's get right into the show. I'm gonna do a little bonus topic because I know, uh, on the after show last week, uh, we talked about Audrey pot and that was kind of the last topic I sort of used to, uh, sort of end that after show and I kind of ended it more on a serious front. So let me, let me just kind of hit, uh, hit you guys with a quick follow-up and uh, we can kind of put this topic to rest for a little bit uh, because I know it is very sensitive to a, a lot of viewers. And also it's a tough topic to talk about. It's, you know, it's, it involves suicide and sexual assault and all sorts of horrible things that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy, but let's finish it by saying this. Listen, there is a lot of information that none of us really know about Audrey Pot. Honestly, the only person that probably knows the most information about this whole entire case is Audrey Pot, and she's had been passed away for 10 years. You know, no, not everyone is going to have the full story, the full narrative, whatever it is, right? Audrey Pot was the only person that really knew what was going on inside her own head. But also, there's also a lot of information that me, the bystander journalist, doesn't know in that, like... I, I'm not a school administrator. I was not privy to the meetings with the parents. I do not know all of the various aspects and things that were going on behind the scenes. I can only speculate, but also I can only make my best educated conclusions with the evidence that was given to me by articles and stuff like that. Um, but let's, let's state the truth of the matter. It's been 10 years here and my district, Los Gatos, Saratoga Union High School District, 
has not addressed the issue of sexual assault whatsoever. It's been 10 years. I went to school there from 2015 to 2019 in that school district, and nothing was erased. Nothing was erased. I'm sorry. It, there, there, there's still remnants of sexual assault culture when I was there, and there continue to be to this day. We, like, the culture is still, I mean, NBC Bay Area, which is the local news station out here in the Bay, did a whole episode on sexual assault, particularly in our school district. If that doesn't say that we have a sexual assault problem with our, with, uh, not, you know, with, within our school district, I don't know what does. There are actual mainstream journalism outlets. Candace Nguyen, she, she did a whole piece on this whole entire thing. And it, it's sad. It really is sad that we have to see these issues come to light. This problem never left. I mean, we, the school district, swept Audrey Pot like I talked about last week kind of under the rug and no one talked about it and we kind of moved on and you know lived our own lives but the problem never left I mean you have this mother that literally in Los Gatos like was grooming as I talked about on the show last week like was grooming young girls to like be sex partners for her son and her buddies or and his buddies like what the f- what like this shit still happens and i mean i start to question it because i feel like if this problem was addressed way back in 2012 2013 like would would the mom exist probably you know like i i can't specifically sit here and say that she wouldn't exist if audrey pot if the audrey pot issue had been addressed but like i think it would have set a precedent for the culture i mean the men the men who were responsible for the audrey pot thing got to still be in school. They lived a hundred hours of community service, had probation, you know, uh, did their time with, you know, pretty basic stuff. Like, like I said, community service. I don't even think they spent that night in juvie and they walked at fucking graduation. I feel like if you cracked down on them and said, no, like we are, this behavior is unacceptable. Like that would have been like, okay, shit. Like that was for real bad, you know, but like you kind of let them get off a little scot-free in my opinion, but whatever. The point is, I mean, guys, it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years since this whole entire thing, okay? And I and I thought about it a lot after I put out the uh, the TikTok and all of that. And not a lot of people actually commented on it, which was surprising to me. Uh, but I thought about it and I, I realized, like, why am I digging up graves from the past, right? Like, the whatever happened to Audrey Pod happened 10 years ago. I don't have all of the information. I cannot sit here and tell you specific facts that happened. I can only tell you what I've observed. And there's no point in talking about it anymore because it's happened already. The horrible event has happened. We pretty much know most of the details. The names of the boys have been released in public. But the reason why I think I brought it up, and I think I, I still stand by this reason, is that it's been 10 years and this shit is still ravaging my community. And I feel the need to talk about that and discuss openly this fact that sexual assault is still plaguing our community. And there's no place, there should be no place for it, but yet there are problems that are happening every day. And maybe this is, this is also happening across the country. It's not just my South Bay. Like it's not just in the South Bay area. Like it's, this is happening in LA, Chicago, New York, wherever, whatever city you look at in America, like sexual assault is a, uh, you know, it's not, it, it's not just located in specific concentrations. It, this is everywhere. This shit is everywhere. And uh, the fact is, like, this is a this is an issue that's been happening. But 
Point being, girls everywhere are being affected, and uh, particularly here in the South Bay because of stuff that's happened in the past. And I just thought I would, you know, call it out and and call it like it is because I think that's important to this whole thing. That's all I got to say about Audrey Pot. Okay, I don't want to kind of stretch it <laughs> um, more than I have to. But I, I think the point that I wanted to bring up is that maybe I don't have all the information. And I cannot sit here and tell you guys that I do. Um, so if I if I was, you know, a little angry or a little um, over the top with my TikTok, I apologize. But that's kind of how I wanted to follow it up and, and just sort of say that. Uh, but let's move on because we got a lot to talk about. And it's it's a lot. It's a Chingabi show. We We talk about everything here. So let me transition to something I want to talk about because I'm egotistical like that. And let's talk about my favorite uh, NFL team in the whole entire world, San Francisco 49ers. That's going to be our sports topic of the day because – or of the week because let's be real. No one wants to talk about Novak Djokovic and the vaccination crisis. It's over. The Australian Open's begun. We're in the second round. Matches are being played. People are competing. It's great. But can we talk about the San Francisco 40 dollars for a second? Can we talk about the 40 dollars for a second? I know I do a lot of negative negative talking, negative communication about this team. I really have this past year. I've been very pessimistic. I didn't I don't know. I it's been it's been a tough year for me as a fan because they really did start off the year extremely poorly. The first 8 weeks of this year were horrible. We're 3 and 5. We're playing terrible opponents uh and losing. It was just it was terrible. I mean, the quarterback situation is still not great, but like it was a lot of losing. And then we figured out that, you know, a lot of things amongst the fact that we had actually a pretty good defense. They just needed time to like sort of uh, reacclimate. We also have a pretty damn good uh, running back who's also a wide receiver by the name of Debo Samuel. Um, and, you know, he's kind of been carrying our offense the last nine weeks, I guess. Anyway, anyway, let me just say, the 49ers have always been special to me. I know I've done a lot of shit talking about them this year. I know I've talked a lot of crap about the San Francisco 49ers. But the Bay Area is my hometown, okay? And I will always rep this football team. doesn't matter how good they are. doesn't matter how bad they are. I'll wear their gear no matter what. And, But here's the thing. I'm not going to necessarily agree with every decision the franchise makes. I think as a fan, we're taught like, oh, we're supposed to ride with our team and we're supposed to have hope in this franchise and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm a critical, I like to think of myself as someone who likes to think critically. And I, you know, as a critical thinker, as the intellectuals say, like, I question a lot of the decisions the 49ers front office and the brass makes. But let me just say this and give them the credit. I, Three months ago, if you asked me the 49, if the 49ers were going to make the playoffs, I'd tell you, <laughs> you're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. No way they're going to be in the playoffs, let alone win a playoff game. But they went 7-2 their last nine games. They won their NFC wildcard game against the Dallas Cow Cowboys. I almost said Cowgirls, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and suddenly we're here. We're, we're about to play in a divisional playoff game against the Green Bay Packers the number one seed in the NFC. I didn't think we'd be here a few months ago, and it's pretty cool to be here. I like playoff football a lot. I Playoff football hits different when your team's playing, and my team happens to be still in the tournament. We're still in the dance, baby. 
So that's pretty cool. And honestly, like I haven't talked really a lot of positive things about these guys in the last, you know, three months or so. So let me just say some positive things. I love Debo Samuel. I, I definitively said it on Instagram, but let me definitively say it on the podcast. Debo Samuel is one of my favorite players on the 49ers and in the league and in football. He's probably my favorite player right now in football. This dude is electric to watch. Every time he gets the ball, he does something fun, right? Even though you like everybody's like, oh, it's going to be a 10-yard loss, Debo makes it a three-yard game. Like, it's great. He's that type of player where he gets the ball, he's going to be explosive. He adds a new element to this running game. He's also a receiver that can catch passes. We forget about that sometimes. And during the LA Rams game, I mean, the guy can throw the ball too. He threw a touchdown pass to Juwan Jennings. I mean, this dude could do it all. Um, he's so much fun to watch. He's absolutely electric uh, as a player. I mean, he's he's incredible. Um, and he deserves all the credit in the world. He deserves all the money in the world. This dude can he's, – he's the Swiss army knife of this offense. It's pretty cool. Uh, I've heard people talk about Debo Samuel and be like, he's Draymond Green. And he he is the Draymond Green for the 49ers. He, he can do it all. He can play all sorts of positions, skill positions uh, for the 49ers and, and really, you know, run, catch, pass, run, run the ball, catch the ball, block for a running back who's running through the lane or whatever. He can really do a lot of things. Uh, and it's pretty cool. I mean, it, he's just a lot of fun to watch. Can I, I mean, let me talk, let me share some other positive news. Kyle Shanahan has gotten his head out of his ass and has decided to run the ball finally. I love that. I love the fact that we're running the ball. Running the ball, like he's found the identity for this team. Not only did he find Debo Samuel as the running back and identify that as a potential way to win games, but he's also really expanded his running game. He's in his bag right now. He's deep in his bag. I mean, every coach has to be very deep in their bag when Jimmy Garoppolo is their quarterback. But he's very, uh, <laughs> he's he's doing a lot of good things in regards to everything that's going on in San Francisco. Um, and he is a big credit as to why we're in the playoffs. The 49ers are special to me no matter what happens. I mean, I've seen, I've watched this team since they were mediocre, since they were, you know, really bad, really down in the dumps, fourth in the NFC West every year, pack it up in November. Like I've seen every single struggle with this team. I've seen us go home in the divisional. I've seen us go home in the actually wait. I mean, I, I've seen us, you know, not make the playoffs. I've seen us go home early in the playoffs. I've seen us go home in a heartbreaking loss at the NFC championship. I've seen us go home in the Super Bowl. Like I've seen all sorts of things for this 49er team. And all I've ever wanted as a fan, as a fan, was one time, just one time, as a fan, I want to win the Super Bowl. I just want the 49ers to win a Super Bowl. And if they win the Super Bowl, they can have my heart forever. Like, I, that'll, gain, that'll gain my good graces for a long time. Uh, the last time the 49ers won a Super Bowl was 1994. Uh, I have never seen them win a Super Bowl. My brother has never seen them win a Super Bowl. He was born in, you know, 94. So... A lot of Niner fans out here don't <laughs> don't know what like the younger generation don't don't know what it's like to have won a Super Bowl, you know. And and this franchise, frankly, is filled with you know a lot of greatness: Joe Montana, Steve Young, um, you know Jerry Rice, Bronny Lott, Bryant Young, Dwight Clark. Like you you could go down the huge list of legends that are 
that were present with the 49ers through the 80s and the 90s. I mean, this was a this was a dynastic franchise. This is this they were the New England Patriots of you know 20 years ago. And the fact is, like, I'm sorry, 30, 40 years ago, they were the New England Patriots of like of today. Like they were the equivalent of that in football. And the sad part is, like, <laughs> I have never seen that. I have never seen that. And I, I like, as a 49er fan, like, you hear all the lore and you hear all the legends. You hear all these amazing stories of, like, winning Super Bowls and, like, making huge comebacks in the playoffs and all of this stuff. But the only thing I've really been privy to over the last, <laughs> you know, I guess 15 years of being a fan is a lot of heartbreaking losses. And if we do make the Super Bowl, more heartbreak. So I am just over the moon. I, and like what I realized back in 2019 when the 49ers made the playoffs uh, for the first time in like five years after their, you know, big run of losing was I'm just going to enjoy the hell out of this playoff run. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of the playoffs because you don't know how many times as a franchise you're going to get it again. And finally, you know, they, they, they missed the Super Bowl back in 2020. Obviously they lost in the Super Bowl. Um, and there was a long, long hiatus. It felt so long. It felt so long, dude. Um, even though it was like a year since we've been like been in the playoffs officially, you know, 2020 Super Bowl, 2022, uh, playoffs here. Like it's felt like, in eternity covid all of the shit has gone wrong in the world but on the other side of it at least the 49ers made the playoffs i don't know it's given me a little bit of hope i guess uh in some instances why do i love the niners i grew up here i mean like i grew up with this team if you think about it like these athletes are like my family in some weird way if you look at it that way right like i know i've grown up i grew up watching you know colin kaepernick like grow up in front of my eyes uh, even though I was 12, which was weird because like he was way older, but like I watched that, like I, I call him a kid. I, like I watched Colin Kaepernick go from like this kid, this athletic kid, to this social justice god, right? And this guy who was being interviewed by CNN and just this big deal throughout national media. I saw that whole story like literally from the very beginning to the very end. I've seen eras come and go. I've seen coaches be fired after a year, like the athletes that have been a part of these 49er teams since like I was a kid are literally a part of my family. Like in, in my weird, you know, family, I guess not family really, but like, I don't know. It's always felt, they always feel like I feel a close connection to a lot of the athletes that play on this team. I give Jimmy Garoppolo a crap, but like, I feel very connected to him, uh, in some weird way, uh, that like I've watched this man, go from the hope and savior of this franchise to the guy everybody's going to count out when he plays another poor game because he probably will, right? I just said it again. Love you, Jimmy. Um, but I don't know. The memories surrounding the 49ers, the vibes. I put out a question earlier this week saying, like, how much do you – like, do you guys love sports? And, like, 94% of my viewers were like, yes. Um you know, I and I think it really is because of the fact that you have so many memories surrounding you. You have vi like the vibes of like the intense moments of a game, right? And it coming down to the wire, the the playoffs. Like, there's nothing like a playoff game in NBA, in the NBA or the NFL or MLB or whatever it is. Like playoffs, the playoffs are just different. The intensity is different. The the sense of urgency, the moments, like those. The the things that happen in the regular season are amplified by a hundred in the playoffs.
playoffs. And it's just, it creates this incredible environment. And I, I just, any playoff really thing that you ever watch is just incredible. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's awesome. Like I, I really don't know how else to describe it. It's just, it's great. Um, it's magical. Like it's, it truly is like as, as someone who loves like narratives and stories and books and, and, and like grew up reading mythology and all of these, you know, Greek stories about gods and Hades and all of that sports is so like, such an analogy for all of that all of those fictional stories it's the most beautiful narrative in the world like in my opinion and and as someone who like was a former english major like sports is the best like sports narratives and like the whole world of sports it's this own incredible ecosystem of like the world's biggest reality tv show that's like that goes on and it's it's amazing like and if you're not in the bubble of sports if you don't understand what's going on you're gonna hate it you hate it i have a lot of friends who are like oh like a nude you're watching another game like this sucks but like if you know what's going on you're addicted you can't stop it's great it's like a drug wow i really went from drug addiction i really went from like loving sports to like drug addiction but anyway the 49ers are in the playoffs and they're playing the divisional game let's see what happens win or lose Always be a fan. Can't take all this stuff down and replace it with other stuff. Um, excited to see how they do, honestly. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough. The Packers are really good. They got Aaron Rodgers. They got Devontae Adams. It's going to be a good team. I hopefully, you know, I think the Niners are going to win, but I'm not super confident in the pick. Uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. I think it's going to be a really good game, and uh, and I'm really excited uh, for Saturday um, and the playoffs. It should be a lot of fun. Okay. Let's completely take a 180 and just transition from the 49ers and my love of sports uh, to TikTok and the music industry because that's what we're going to do. Is TikTok changing the music industry? Uh, hear me out here, okay? I know this is like going to sound pretty crazy. I want to talk about someone. I want to talk about someone very important and someone who I think is is going to be a big name in the in the music industry very, very soon. I know there's been a lot of famous TikTok musicians, people who, you know, have blown up because of songs on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. I think we found our next big one. I think I found the next big one before she became big. I think she became big for one TikTok, but I think she's going to continue to be like a big TikToker. She's relatively big, but she's not like super big. She's bigger than me. You know, my 60 followers, she's got like 700,000. So she's like big, but like, I'm like, you know, here, <laughs> but, but she's, she's cool. Her name's Stacy Ryan. And for those of you that don't know the name Stacey Ryan uh, and how it relates to music, let me explain it to you really quickly. Stacey Ryan is this girl, uh, Gen Z girl. I don't know how old she is. She's from Montreal. Um, and she is like your normal music account. She posts a lot of uh, videos of her, you know, um, singing her original music or covering different songs, whatever. Uh, she's had decent success, I think. Like she's been viewed by Charlie Puth and duetted and all of this stuff. Stacey Ryan recently put out a challenge where it's called an open verse challenge where I guess like she had, she wrote the first part of her song and, uh, and sang it. And then like basically left the other 45 seconds or whatever, like of the verse where like someone's verse would be added in and gave someone the opportunity to, to be able to sing that. Right. It was like a competition of like, I need a verse on a song. Here is what it sounds like. Here's my part. And then like, just leave the rest of the beat open. If that makes any sense at all. If you like look up the, please don't text me when I'm drunk challenge, you'll get it immediately. Like that would probably was such a bad explanation. Anyway, 
I'm not saying Stacey Ryan is single-handedly changing the music game on TikTok, but this challenge was like the first real challenge to like open me up to the to the world of music on TikTok because it's incredible. The please don't text me when you're drunk challenge is so cool because I was like going through it. I went through it for like 45 minutes of just all the different submissions of people that were like going through and like duetting Stacey's kind of open verse challenge and like writing their own verses to the beat and just like hearing people's different interpretations, different uh, comedic interpretations for some and for some people like actual just beautiful voices or jazz vibes or R&B vibes or rapping, like just all sorts of different things. And like people were bringing all sorts of different musical styles to the table. And it got me thinking. I was like, TikTok's going to change the music industry because for, for one very simple fact, and that's because of the fact that you can suddenly take one of your favorite artists, whatever, songs, and or if they have a, uh, a duet challenge, like you can take their song and just duet them. You can sing along with them. You can sing along with your favorite artist. You can come up with the freestyle for your favorite artist, and you can just post it on your TikTok. And there is a chance, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but there is a chance that your favorite artist, that, you know, if your favorite artist was Stacey Ryan, there was a good chance that she probably saw your open verse and she listened to it. Suddenly, the whole idea of like music being this, like, you're either big or you're not, or you're trying to make it, is the line is blurred because of this social media, because of these open verse challenges. I mean, look at like Charlie Puth, for example, is a really good example of this because Charlie Puth's up on TikTok um, and he's pretty active and he posts a lot of uh, different videos of him like making music based on different sounds and various different things. Um, and he also duets fans. So he he's like, you know, a big musician, like he's had a lot of really big songs that have, you know, gone off and been really popular. Um, and he duets fans and does song challenges, kind of like what Stacey Ryan did with the please don't text me when you're drunk. Uh, and Charlie Puth does this on a pretty regular basis. And so like, if you're a fan, actually Stacey Ryan, funny story, funny freaking story. I think Stacey Ryan recorded, uh, was recording a song and Charlie Puth duetted her. Uh, and so like, they basically made music over the course of this app. It just blows my mind how social media is creating these collaborations that you never thought were possible, right? This freaking 18 year old girl in Montreal and megastar Charlie Puth can all of a sudden become like co-collaborators on a song and release it to the public. Like what the hell this that's crazy to me. I feel like that has never existed within our society ever, ever. Right. Uh, another example of a song that was created on TikTok, ABCD, uh, F U or whatever it's called by Gail, right? She was literally like, I have no inspiration for music. Can someone in the comments, like, give me something. And someone like wrote some shit about how you should sing a song about the ABCs. And like, boom, it sparked this moment of inspiration. And like, and I've heard that there's like conspiracy theories behind like who wrote that comment. And like, it could have been the president of Capitol records and all of this shit. I don't know. Okay. But like, that's kind of cool that like fans now, and like people can collaborate with musicians and it's no longer this world of like closed doors and open doors, but more so like anyone can see anyone. Like for all you know, Charlie D'Amelio could watch this video right now and three days from now I could be popular. That's probably not going to happen. But the fact that 
the true future of collaboration lies within social media. I mean, music is democratized. It's going to be democratized at this point. If this duetting continues, if Beyonce one day decides to get a TikTok and posts a freaking verse challenge and someone freestyles to it and it goes really viral and Beyonce sees it and they start collaborating, like, boom, your career. Like, it's the way that things are – it's a game changer. This TikTok, like these open verse challenges, these beat challenges on TikTok, like pushing each, pushing other musicians to like get better. Like this is, this is the future of music. It's right here on this app. And like everyone calls it, oh, it's a cancerous app where people just do dances. No, no, you're seeing it right here. I mean, you literally are having famous artists, Charlie Poots of the world, Jason Derulo's duet fans who are rappers, producers. I mean, it's game changing and it's obvious. It's not happening on like a huge level, right? It's happening with a couple of artists here and there. And it's happening kind of on a, you know, right now, at least in 2022, it's not happening on this like super regular basis where like everyone is duetting everyone. And it's like this pure democratization of everything. No, but it could, it could like, there was, there was a standup. Like I'm, I'm giving another example of like how a duet could be kind of cool. There was a standup comedian who did a set on this uh, actress, Allison Stoner. I don't know if you know who that is. She was in cheaper by the dozen, but he did a whole set on her and he, I don't know if he tagged her or what, or she or the set went kind of viral, I think. And she just saw the set and she duetted her reaction to it. And like, that must've been mind fucking blowing for that guy. Right? Like who was just wrote a set about he, how he had a crush on Allison Stoner. And suddenly she saw it on TikTok and it was like, boom. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy to me that like any celebrity can see anything at any moment. And this is the social media era we live in, right? Uh, it's it's truly a new era. And I think it doesn't only apply to music, but it applies to like the whole, anything that requires collaboration. Um, social media is like giving you that opportunity. It's no longer like you have to know someone who knows someone, but it's more so like, fuck it. I'm going to put my shit out on social media and someone might see it and it might lead to something. I'm not saying it's going to happen on the first try for Stacey Ryan. It probably took a hundred of these duets to like really get it popping. And then like, well, what, please don't text me when you're drunk, just got off. Right. I don't know her story. I really don't, but like, it's something like that. You never know who's going to see you on the internet. It's, it's the truth. You never know who's seen you on the internet, which is also kind of creepy. But like, you know, we can get into the dark side of the internet later. My point is, dude, like I want to see more famous artists, not only famous artists, but like up and coming artists, like get on TikTok and like do more of these duets with people, the open verse challenges, the freestyles, not just put out their own music, but collaborate with other people. I feel like this is where the fucking music industry is going, where people are duetting and they're collaborating on TikTok and you're creating like music even though like you may not know who the hell this girl is or who the hell this dude is or who the hell that person is right and it's shifting the way that like everything is being thought i mean you look at the way like i've talked about it with entertainment you look at disney you look at netflix you look at the way that the uh hollywood used to be ruled by the studios they used to be ruled by warner brothers and warner brothers would pick the specific actors that would be in the films right you look at the way music was formed right there would be specific rappers that would make it big and have these huge record deals and contracts and be the stars of the industry and everybody else was a starving artist and now now, like in 2022, the internet and social media, I preach this. It's becoming like this collaborative center where a megastar can collaborate with 
kid living in parents' basement. And now there's like a musical middle class of like, wow, like the power dynamic is suddenly more balanced. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It's it's pretty cool. It, it's kind of on the ground. And and I but I think Stacy Ryan's onto something here with these open verse challenges. And I don't she's not the one who invented it. They've been going on on TikTok for a while. But Stacey Ryan was like the first one that I saw. I mean, you, you can even look at it with TikTok silence too. Like, look at Tesher. He literally just went off because Jalebi Baby became like the most popular song in the world. Why? Because of TikTok. Because people in India, because people in Canada, because people in the United States, the UK, wherever you are, like just thought the song was a vibe and they started playing it in their TikToks. And suddenly Tesher went for some, from some fucking nobody in Saskatchewan, Canada to an Indian Canadian artist that will probably in two years be, you know, with his own studio album. He's signed with Capitol. So he's a big deal. The music industry is changing. And I think social media, I think TikTok, TikTok is creating its own music scene. It's kind of cool. It's, it's pretty freaking cool. I'm excited to see where it goes, but yeah, that's my little spiel about TikTok and music. I know it was long. I'm sorry. We got a few more topics to go. Uh, so let's get through it. <clears throat> but this also is kind of related to to music, but not uh, kind of in a pop culture lens like I was talking with TikTok, but more so like bands. Let's talk about bands for a second. I talked a little bit about this on the after show. I think the garage band is like one of the coolest aesthetics in the world, uh, at least to me. How much I, I just loved. I used to love watching um, like old 90s movies where like the kids like school of rock for example right where like the kids are you know playing music in their mom's basement and all of a sudden like you just like it's that whole aesthetic of like oh like i you know you're you're in high school you don't have much going on but you really like music you like jamming out with your friends and you're creating music in your mom whatever in your parents basement and like you know potentially one day like someone sees you at the battle of the bands i know that's like a very specific very fucking 1991 nirvana aesthetic but like it, it's a cool it's like the ultimate come up story for a lot of people right a lot of bands started that way you talk vampire you talk about all the bands in the world right fallout boy maroon five freaking panic at the disco uh, all American rejects, like all of the popular bands started in this weird, uh, mom's basement type of vibe. And what concerns me about the future of bands is that Adam Levine did an interview with this guy, Zane Lowe on, uh, who's like kind of the head of like, uh, I think iHeartRadio or one of these like big radio stations. And, uh, Zane Lowe basically asked him like, what do you think of uh, rock and roll now? Or like, you know, kind of radio, uh, whatever, pop, that genre. And Adam Levine basically said something along the lines of like, bands are dying. And like, it sucks to not see as many bands be as successful as they used to be. This used to be one of the most successful genres in the world, right? 2001 was the year that was, or 2002 was the year that was fucking owned by songs about Jane by Maroon 5, right? It was paramore it was my chemical romance it was all of these various bands that just like own the 2000s you talk about the 2000s aesthetic it's a lot of rock it's a lot of loud ass electric guitar and it's a lot of drums that's what it is and unfortunately like you have guys like adam levine who are, literally are in bands that are very mega successful maroon five adam levine were to retire like i told him in episode one to do so uh he'd be mega famous he'd be mega rich but he said bands are dying 
And a lot of bands came out and like retweeted his quote and were like, how could you say this? Like, this is awful. Like we're still around Par- like Paramore's lead singer retweeted something. And um, a couple other bands like said some stuff, but listen, I'm not here to say bands are dying because bands are bands exist, right? The strokes put out an album last year and it was fantastic. Go listen to it, by the way, if you haven't, it's really, really good. Uh, Maroon 5 still puts out music. Do I like it? Not particularly. Is it for everyone? Eh, maybe. Right? Panic at the Disco is still putting out music. Last I checked. Fallout Boy. I mean, uh, you know, they were relevant in 2014, I guess. Like, I don't know. But, like, you know, the point is there are bands that are putting out music. Vampire Weekend. Like, all sorts of different bands. But, and they're doing decently well. But, unfortunately, like, I don't think the idea of a band is in like it is in people's heads anymore because it's not the most popular genre in the world. And I talked about that last week. Bands aren't on top of the top 40 charts. Who are those top 40 charts dominated by? The Weeknd, Drake, J. Cole, Kanye West, Travis Scott. It Bands don't matter that much. Bands are becoming kind of like an alt indie vibe. They're not like, you know, all over the radio. You turn on the radio in 1995, it was Green Day. It was fucking Nirvana. It was grunge music. Like... It was loud rock music. It was rock and roll for the longest time in this country. And now you look at 2022. I listen to the most stuff on the radio. It has some sort of rap influence. Even Beautiful Mistakes by Adam Levine or by Maroon 5 has a Meg Thee Stallion verse in it, right? Like pop is being forced to adapt to this new genre that is hip hop and rap. And bands aren't on top of those top 40 charts maybe maroon 5 you know when they release an album will be there for a couple weeks but that's about it they're the biggest mega band i could argue in this generation of bands but there's no real motivation to like collaborate and be like hey guys let's start a band in my garage and just jam out to music and see where it goes it's not like that anymore it's not i know bands are like a thing I just, you know, like they're definitely a thing. There's a band called Sitting on Stacy that's pretty good. Uh, and I listened to them like four years ago. Or I saw them live at my old college like three years ago. Jesus, it's been three years. Damn. And they were fantastic, but they're small. And I don't think they have that real big potential to like grow into something huge. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll fucking blow our minds. I don't know. But I don't think they're going to be big because band culture is not the thing anymore. Bands are becoming retro and vintage, which is that is sad in itself right i mean i was talking about musical collaboration and how it's become this huge thing on social media and on tiktok but like bands haven't really used tiktok i feel like to their advantage i mean i feel like i feel like if tiktok was in the 1990s it would be like most of the tiktoks would be like guys posting on their phones being like hi my name is so and so and i'm from so and so and i play the drums i'm looking for someone who plays the guitar so they maybe they can join a band with me and we can play music that doesn't happen anymore the band is no longer the biggest thing even stacy ryan's please don't text me when you're drunk has a rap sort of jazz r&b feel to it it's no longer the you know like let's take the guitar and just you know jam out to some metallica right that's not it's not happening anymore um and the formation of bands i feel like is just changing you know like i talked about how band i i at least i and new changabi have not seen bands really take advantage of of tiktok and like try to find new members etc etc but i feel like musical collaborations with the pandemic is tough 
it's tough to like go out in the street. It's not like, you know, the movies where you can just go out and find some, you know, ridiculously talented singer in the middle of the street. You can't do that. Musical collaborations used to be like you go to the live shows and you play at bars and you play at these places. But that's been limited because of the pandemic. The pandemic is limiting the fact that the, the limiting the band's biggest appeal, which is the live show. The live show used to be the biggest deal pre-pandemic. You'd go to those. You'd go to these random dive bars and there'd be like this old timey band playing like 80s cover songs, right? Like that doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. And like Adam Levine has a point, right? Adam Levine has a point, but he doesn't have a point when he's saying bands are dying. He has a point in saying that like, yes, they're no longer mainstream and, you know, they're not dominating the top 50 billboard charts. But he also doesn't have a point because I think musical collaborations are, I think bands are happening. They're just happening in different vibes. I think rap collectives are the new bands. I think Brockhampton is kind of the new style of band you're going to get. You're no longer going to get Green Day. You're no longer going to get Paramore. That's not going to happen anymore. It's going to be more Brockhampton. It's going to be um, like SOB, RBE, like the Bay Area rappers. It's going to be collections of like hip hop artists more so than anything. Silk Sonic. It's going to be collaborations like that. No longer. It's, it's not going to be bands. It's going to be uh, hip hop collaborations, in my opinion. I think that's where we're going with music. And it's a sad reality, but also it's it's a new reality. And I think we just have to like open up to it and, you know, be happy and accept that. It's it's the truth, un, uh, unfortunately, at this point, and uh, and that's tough. But that's the bands, and are they dying? My answer to that is yes and no. I think their mainstream appeal is dying, but I think they're forming into. I think they're conforming into the new genre, and you're going to find. Um, hey, who knows? Maybe rock and roll and uh, rap will mix together one day and you're going to get this beautiful rock rap album. I don't know if it'll happen. Maybe it's already happened. I just don't know about it. But our band's dying, in my opinion, kind of, unfortunately. But we got three more topics to get into, so let's do it. Let's talk about the news and hit heroes for a second. Heroes. Heroes. Like, who are your heroes? Back in my day, you know, I had a lot of heroes growing up, right? I loved uh you know for me like my athletes were my heroes i kind of talked about this right like my my biggest hero growing up was this tennis player by the name of rafael nadal like i loved him i was him for halloween like i had my parents buy me his shirt from uh nike like i wore that thing around like i wear the sweatbands like i wanted to be in it all so bad i wanted to just like i played like when i used to play tennis i used to hit the ball like him even though his strokes are like completely you know canceled by tennis fundamentalists and like you should not be doing that like i just i love to emulate him on the court like he you know just running around giving it max effort like that was who i wanted to be he was my hero but history at least as we know has had a lot of heroes uh at least according to the way that it's taught but i don't think so i'm here to tell you uh, to question that has there really been a single hero within history because let's break down like what exactly history is for a second, right? It's the past retellings. It's the retelling of the past and the retelling of uh, past events to the current generation so that we can look at look and identify the problems and the patterns that were seen in the past and prevent that from happening in the future. I think that's a pretty good definite, pretty good working definition of history. But if you look at history and you look at human nature, I think in general, Everyone's pretty flawed. 
Everyone's got problems, right? Uh, no one is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Your cousin down the street isn't perfect. Nobody is. And if you look at the way that history is written, history, at least the way it's taught and the way that historians and documentaries and all of these things that we're exposed to history by, are taught in a way that it's all a narrative. It's a story. It's a moving piece of of a story. And it's and that story and that narrative is told by the people who wrote it, right? History is all based on the people who wrote it and who delivered the information into your brain. So everybody's version of history is slightly different if you look at it in that sense. And really, I was thinking about this and I was like, the only true things that are the facts about history are battles, like when events took place, right? And maybe in war, whatever, uh, conferences, like dates, specific dates, and then like battles, like death tolls, all of that, death dates, statistics, that type of thing. Those are the, like, besides concrete numbers, there's no fact in history that is up to people's interpretation. I feel like that's what history is. It's a story. It's like English. You can interpret historical events and decisions that leaders made by looking at the various contexts or by looking at what maybe leaders have wrote or leaders have said to the press, et cetera, et cetera. You can read into those things and then formulate a conclusion. But the reality is the only person that knows history, no one knows the complete history of the world besides uh, nobody, nobody knows the history unless you believe in God, which I don't, uh, nobody really knows the complete history of the world. I think there are semi-true things about history, right? Like you could say like Adolf Hitler was a bad guy. Fair, fair. I think it's pretty much 99 up to about 99% of the world. Adolf Hitler is a bad guy, right? Dropping the was dropped. Like, the, like what's another one? Like what's another semi-true thing, right? Like, who was a bad guy? Like, there were some really bad guys in history, right? Cecil Rhodes was an asshole. He was a terrible man. Yes, we can fundamentally say that based on conclusions, based on things that people have said. Slavery was bad, right? Putting down a race is not good. We could see these are these are true things. These are true things, but they're also, like, derived by historical context. Okay. Uh, sorry to get really deep here, by the way. But then... But then there are like the interpretations. This is where like history just goes out the window. It just becomes all narrative, right? People call Neil Armstrong a hero. Was Neil Armstrong really a hero? Like, dude, it was cool, right? He went to the moon. Like, that's great. But he, his, his, like, his, like, role in the history of the world is so overhyped. Okay. I don't think he's like a real hero. I think he was someone that like nine year olds probably looked at in 1961 and were like, damn, that's kind of cool. But, like, most people forgot about him, right? He wasn't a true hero. Like, he wasn't someone who fought in a war, did any of that. But, like, yeah, he accomplished an incredible thing, and that's awesome. But, like, you know, in, in terms of the whole history of the world, he was definitely, like, over, you know, shot. He he wasn't, like, there's different interp ways to interpret if Neil Armstrong was a real hero. There are a lot of historical questions. Why did Winston Churchill um, do what he did uh, in Gallipoli, right? Like, that's a that's a nobody fucking knows but you as historians like you you have to figure it out right why did why did the why did hitler invade poland first 
okay? Historians can figure that out, but there are different interpretations. There are different sides. There are different perspectives. That's what I mean by that. And then there are, like, the criticisms of the actions. This is where, like, it's history becomes complete opinion, right? When you talk about, like, oh, like, I believe that General Lee's, uh, or fucking, not General Lee, but, like, I believe that General um, uh, Sherman's strategy of scorched earth uh, in 1864 down Savannah, Georgia, was completely unethical. Like, I mean, yeah, but, like, there's also another argument for it. Like, Or, like, when history teachers are like, oh, dropping the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were terrible, right? Or, like, they were amazing. Like, it was great for America. It was, like, a great scientific achievement. The, that's when you go back and forth. There's so many different things within history that can be debated and, um, and looked at in a variety of different angles. But, yeah, you could go on for days about the various historical events that can be debated and all of that. But here in America, and I can only speak from American history because I was taught America. I was taught in America. I grew up in America. I went to school in America. In America, we're taught history like it's a story. And I used to think this was a great thing. I, that's why I loved it. That's why I got A's in all my history classes. I freaking, I just absorbed the information like it was a story. I'm an English-minded guy. I love narrative. I love, um, I love, like, I love the storytelling. I love the different events. I love how it was explained to me. I had great history teachers in high school who taught history like it was a story. And we're taught, but the thing is about a story is there's always a protagonist and there's always antagonists, right? And you're always taught to root for specific people, right? In, in, in American history, for example, you're all, like, from a young age, you're always taught to root, root for, for the Americans over the British. For a variety of reasons, right? Good. Yeah, I think you should. Sure. Right? You're always, you're, you're taught to root for George Washington. You're taught to root for Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You know, these are the heroes. Winston Churchill in world history. Uh, who's another one? Um, you're taught to, like, the antagonists of history. Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini. Obviously terrible guys. I'm not saying, they're, you know, they, they should be protagonists. But maybe in their own weird fucked up way, like, in their head, they were the protagonist. Which is, you know, that's like the whole English and history thing combining itself. Um, but here's some more complicated names, I think, throughout history uh, of people who... Could have been good, but also could have been bad. George W. Bush. Was he a good president? Was he a bad president? Depending on who you are, you'll say different things. Right? Gorbachev. Was he a good leader? Was he a bad leader? Depending on who you are, you say different things. Right? Like, Golda Meir. Was she good? Was she bad? Martin Luther King. Another person you're taught is a hero. Like, I'll give you the example of Martin Luther King. Why don't we go there? It was his day a couple days ago. Let's talk about Martin Luther King for a second. I don't think Martin Luther King is a hero. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think he's a hero. And I'm not trying to sit here and cancel Martin Luther King at all. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he what he did. Like I, think, like I said, human nature. We're naturally all flawed. But Martin Luther King isn't the hero that you thought, think he is, in my opinion. He, he did a lot of great things, of course, right? Preaching nonviolence, like, obviously getting America to the point where they signed the 1968 Civil Rights Act, you know, gave African-Americans a lot of, a uh, lot more privileges and segregation became kind of a, uh, a thing of the past to, to a certain extent. Um, but he's not the saintly hero that American history portrays him to be. I think this is so interesting to me. Ma Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King in American history is painted as like one of the, like Mar Malcolm X is painted as this huge, 
antagonist and Martin Luther King is this hero who was like, we should never be violent and all of this stuff. Right. But Martin Luther King was also not a great guy. In, in American history, he's portrayed like he's a God. He's not, he's not, I'm sorry. He's not a fucking God. Okay. Martin Luther King. Let's go through some of the things Martin Luther King did. Okay. I did a lot of research. Martin Luther King plagiarized parts of his doctoral passages. Okay. So he was a Dr. Martin Luther King, right? He got his doctorate, uh, I believe from uh, some school in Boston. Uh, but a lot of his doc doctoral passages that he wrote in like his, you know, doctorate paper were plagiarized. He plagiarized a lot of those and he's known for being an educated guy. That's like his thing, right? Like he went to lots of years of school. He went to like theological school and like the theological seminary and also went to like actual school and studied and like all this stuff. And like, that's fine. Look, I, you know, I know a lot of people who plagiarized in high school. Are they necessarily bad people? No, that's fine. Cool. But he also plagiarized quite a few of his speeches that were taken from different pastors in the South. Okay. And that's not great. That's not a great look considering he's known as probably one of the best orators of our time. He did plagiarize a lot of his speeches. Just something to keep in mind. Again, this is not something I'm trying to cancel him with, but he, he did, he did plagiarize his speeches. I think that's something you should know. Here's the interesting one. MLK was not, you know, I know like MLK and like particularly in pop culture and MLK and Coretta are seen as this like huge power couple uh, in society. They weren't. Okay. Like Martin Luther King like funded sex parties and stuff. Like this is known fact. He funded sex parties through like the SLCC's money, which he was the head of. Um, and which was like also like the SLCC was like being used as like a racial nonprofit to like, uh, fight against civil rights or fight for civil rights and all this stuff. And Ralph Abernathy, like his, was his best friend at the time. And like one of his closest friends and confidants. And like, he like basically like talks about all of this in his memoir. Um, his friend reveals everything. Like he just like goes into way graphic detail. I'm not going to, you know, go into the gra graphic detail, but he did. Martin Luther King did fun sex parties. This is a fact. This is a fact. You can look on this. He cheated on Coretta, obviously. He, uh, he was actually, like, with a woman the day he got assassinated, which is a fun fact. He, was, he, he wasn't he was in Memphis to see that woman. He was in Memphis to give a speech at uh, a garbage strike, a garbage, a sanitation work, workers strike, um, which is interesting. But he was with a woman uh, the day before he got assassinated. He was, like, in some weird thing with some women. Um, but here's the thing. A lot of this information, why it hasn't been released necessarily, and I think it will be released in the next upcoming years, is because the FBI files about at Martin Luther King are not out. For those of you that don't know, Martin Luther King was like basically wiretapped by the FBI. And they were trying to figure out like if he was involved with the communists. That's why they were wiretapping him because this was peak Cold War and all this stuff. Um, and the FBI files are actually coming out in 2027. So when, when those files come out, I bet you a lot of this stuff is going to become public information. A lot more people are going to be questioning why we celebrate Martin Luther King Day um, and all that. Uh, a lot, how do I know this information? You probably are wondering that. I, like I said earlier, I think it comes from it comes from a lot of people who wrote books, like Ralph Abernathy, who was like one of uh, MLK's best friends, and firsthand accounts also from the people who were close to him in his life, because that's you know the best I can do. I cannot go to the you know fucking DC and request those files. They're, they're going to be you know available in five years, and we'll see what happens then. I say all of this to like not disgrace him. I don't think Martin Luther King is a bad guy. Like I said, like I think he did a lot of amazing things. He's a huge part of American history. I'm not trying to take down the black community. Uh, there are a lot of nuances to the civil rights movement. And I think MLK is not this saintly figure like he's portrayed. He is a very nuanced man, like everybody is. And Malcolm X is the same way. Malcolm X is a fucking misunderstood dude, dude. Okay.
he's not Malcolm X is not like in class. We were always taught that Malcolm X was the guy who believed in any means necessary to gain independence for African Americans, whether that meant just killing the killing white people and all of this stuff. And they portrayed him as this super violent man. I remember this specifically seventh grade, Miss Duran. Shout out, Miss Duran. Okay, shout out, Miss Duran. If you're listening to this, Miss Duran, hi. I hope you're doing well. Um, the first person who Miss Duran was the first person who told me that there was more to Malcolm X than him just being violent. And I remember like asking her a bunch of questions. She handed me the autobiography. She said, read it. I never finished it. I read like parts of it. I read like a hundred pages and it's great. It's one of the best books, apparently, according to people. There's also a movie, uh, Denzel Washington plays Malcolm X. It's supposed to be really, really good. I did a lot of research into Malcolm X when I was in middle school and high school um, and really looked into who he was. He's a super complicated dude. And I think like the way that his, uh, he, he does talk about violence and like using violence, but he doesn't talk about it in like a, we have to eliminate all white people. Like the way that history books talk about Malcolm X. Um, it's a very nuanced argument that he makes. And I think it's actually a very fair argument. I think it's a realistic argument, uh, for the time and the way that people portray this Malcolm versus Martin debate was just trying to pit the African-American community together in my, or like pit, pit the African-American community against each other, in my opinion. Uh, and it was sort of a tactic to almost pit them apart, which is kind of crazy. Um, Malcolm X just had a different approach to independence, but him and MLK were trying to reach the same goal. And actually, like, if you look at reports, they were not like anti each other at all. Uh, they never really like talked in public and stuff, but like they were never against each other. Yeah. They believed in two separate religions. Like Malcolm X was a devout Muslim and MLK is uh, a devout Christian. Their whole like relationship, like Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King is something that does not get talked about in American history. Uh, but it's a super interesting very fascinating relationship that they barely knew each other, but like they were also like rivals because America, the newspapers painted them like that. And it's pretty complicated and interesting. I highly recommend you guys go watch that. The point being a lot of history that we're taught is very narrative based, but it's fun to go back and unlearn all the shit that we were taught because there was a lot of weird shit in there. Um, and I find it interesting because I have these conversations with my mom and she uh, comes at it from an Indian perspective because in India they were taught different narratives about Indian history and all the various things that uh, the Indian government uh, went through with independence and all the stuff and and they were taught history in a certain way to believe that uh, certain people were the heroes when in reality like those people didn't do those things right like Mahatma Gandhi for example is looked at as a saint like figure in India when in reality like the man was a little flawed uh, you know he was known for uh, sleeping next to little girls and, you know, a lot of very messed up things. Like he was in a, in child marriage and all this thing, all this stuff. Like I, I don't know too much about it, so I don't feel the liberty to talk about it here, but definitely go do your research on Gandhi. It's a very, he's a very interesting dude. Um, and did a lot of weird stuff <laughs> for sure. Martin Luther King's idol, by the way. So it's kind of cool to see that kind of cultural mix because my mom's going through with indian history and i'm kind of you know seeing it with american history and it's it's kind of cool it's kind of cool to see but let me go through this real quick i got two more topics and my computer's about to die as it always is my personal heroes who are my two personal heroes let me do this in 30 seconds i'll tell you there are two people that i found nothing really bad about uh a few people actually malala i think malala's fucking fantastic <laughs> If you cancel Malala, like I'm, I'm just gonna be so sad. Like I'm gonna be like, there's no hope in this world. Malala's so nice. She just seems like a really just nice human being. Like she seems like someone I would just want to hang out with, 
and just be friends with. Um, and she's done so many amazing things. I've read her memoir. Go read her memoir, by the way, if you haven't. Malala. I am Malala. It's a great memoir. I hope she writes more books because I feel like there's more to the story. And that story kind of ends when she's 15. So definitely go check out Malala. Malala Yousafzai, one of my favorite people. Mother Teresa. I think she's another incredible person. I think the only flaw with Mother Teresa is that she was just inherently Christian. And uh, a lot of what she did was motivated by the church. Uh, but is that a bad thing? Not really. I don't know. Then I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what I wear. Anyway, Oscar Schindler is another like who I think is a hero. Uh, he did have ulterior motivations, but I like Oscar Schindler because he's truly flawed in that like he was a Nazi uh, and he was doing all the stuff behind their back, behind their uh, Nazi people's back. And but he was also a Nazi and he did spy for them and was pro them. Um, and Joan of Arc. I don't really know much about her, but I've heard good things. And I think uh, <laughs> I've heard good things about Joan of Arc. I don't know too much about her, but I've known that she was like a very like big thing with female representation and all of that stuff. And let me transition to this one final thing. This one warning I want to give you guys. There's one thing I'm confident out about in this world. There's one thing, one thing. Anybody want to take a guess as to what that is? I'm going to make it. That's the one thing I'm confident in. I know I'm going to make it. No matter what happens, I think I'm going to make it. And I just want people to know that. And I also want to put that out into the universe. I think I'm going to make it in this industry. I don't know how. I don't know when. And I don't know how. I don't know where. Right? I'm sitting in my parents' bedroom. It's <laughs> January of 2022. I have pretty much zero dollars to my name in regards to this podcast. But I just I have this feeling. I've had this feeling for a while now. That like, I'm going to do something with this. That this is going somewhere. It's going to lead to something big. I don't know what that is. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know where it's coming from. But I'm confident. I'm feeling confident in this one thing. I'm not a very confident guy, actually. I'm a really like unconfident dude. I have a lot of self-deprecation humor. But I feel really confident in this. In this podcast. When I get on this mic, I feel like I'm the best podcaster in the world. I'm not. I'm not. But I I feel it. I I feel it every time I hop on the mic. It's like this attitude um, that I feel like I can do my job better than anybody else can. But I'm I genuinely and like I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. I really feel confident I'm gonna make it here. I'm gonna make something of myself in this podcast industry. I don't know when. I again, like I said, it could be 15 years from now. It could be 30 years from now. It could be on my deathbed. Someone would say you made it, and I made it. But I know I'm gonna make. It. I know I'm gonna make it in this weird communication entertainment hybrid industry, but we'll see what happens. That's what everything is for. And that's what I'm excited to share with you is that I'm confident in one thing. And you know what that one thing is, is that I'm going to make it. And I know those last two topics were really short, but I got to wrap it up because my computer is about to die. And we'll talk more about my personal heroes on the after show. Don't worry. So thank you guys so much for watching. I really do appreciate every single one of you that stuck with me here to the end. I know it was an hour and two minutes. It's a little long. Uh, Definitely go follow me on socials. Everything is at the Changavi Show, uh, the Changavi Show on Twitter, the Changavi Show on Instagram, the Changavi Show on TikTok. I post clips there daily, so go check that out. I'm on YouTube, the Changavi Show. Go subscribe there. If you're on Spotify, go follow me there. Everything's in the link tree, so like you should be able to hit everything. I've also linked the Audrey Pot Foundation in my link tree, so go check them out as well. Doing a lot of fantastic work and always. 
Um, and particularly if you're from the South Bay, they're always, uh, you know, making sure that you know about uh, different sexual assault stuff that's going on here. So anyway, feel free to leave a like and subscribe if you're on the video. If you're on uh, Spotify, feel free to share it with your friends. Feel free to follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go leave me a review, five stars only. But that's all I got. Thank you guys so much for listening to me. I appreciate all of you. Love all of you. Hope you all have an amazing day, night, or afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this. And from my parents' house, I'm Anuj, signing off. All right, everybody. I'll see y'all soon, and take care. Okay. Peace. Peace, everyone. I was trying something new with, the, you know, the end there. So don't blame me if it's bad. But if it was good, if, if you like the signing off, I'll do that from now on. How about it? How about it? Okay, I'm just getting tired at this point. I'm going to sing. So I'll leave y'all. Okay, peace. Bye. Bye. That was weird. Okay, no, I'm going to end. Okay, I'm going to end it like this, okay? Signing off from the Chingabi Show. The man, the myth, the legend. Okay, peace. Peace for real. Okay, I mean to say bye this time. I, I mean it. Okay, bye.